and she'll think I'm an idiot. I pick up the coat. I'll take you up now, she says. You're on the first floor. My room's small, but it's at the front of the house, and I'll bet it has a good clear view of the sea. There's a single bed, a sink, a draining board, and a rack for cups and plates. Under the window there's a table and a wooden chair. I put my bags down under the sink, go to the bed and sit. I wouldn't mind a ham sandwich and a cup of coffee. After that we could lie down together and I could put my head in her lap, or the other way round. It'd be up to her. She comes over, stands close to me. What have you got in the big bag? She says. My toolkit. She looks at it. Do you want me to open it up? Never mind, she says. I was just curious. I stand. Is the room okay? She says. It's more than okay. She smiles. How long do you plan to stay? Indefinitely. You've come here for good then? Or bad? She laughs, takes a step back. We'd better go down to the office now. I follow her down the stairs and she takes her time. Goes too slow keeps turning back to look at me, tells me the ins and outs of the running of the boarding house. Three weeks ago, my fiancée Sarah was standing at the top of the stairs when she said, I can't marry you. It's over. And when she was halfway down, I called out her name, but she didn't stop, didn't so much as look at me, just said, Please don't follow me. I wanted to push her down the stairs, make the kind of impression I didn't know how to make with words. But I didn't. And when she'd closed the front door, I said, OK then, and goodbye then. Afterwards, I played the scene over and over, imagined how I planted my hands in the middle of her back and pushed her hard enough to send her flying and I got this sentence in my head over and over. You broke my heart, and now I've broken your spine. It was something I'd never say, not like anything I've ever said. I've never done any serious violence to anybody, never even thought about it all that much. The next day I set about looking in the papers for work and lodgings down south near the sea, and three weeks later my bags were packed and I was on the train. I'm here now, a hundred miles away, and that's the past. Sarah's the past. It's done with. I don't have to think about it again, if I don't want to. At the bottom of the stairs, Bridget takes a left turn to her office. The writing in the frosted glass says, Do not enter. She unlocks the door, goes in and sits behind her desk. There are more pictures of boats and her black and white wedding photographs on the walls and a pile of books about boats on the desk and a vase full of white flowers on top of a filing cabinet.
I wonder where her husband is. You'll need to pay for the first two months and a six-week bond in case there's any breakage or malicious damage. I've only ever heard my father use the phrase malicious damage, and I expect it from him because he's a miserable factory foreman, always on the lookout for thievery and wrongdoing. She's too pretty to be saying it. Right, I say. I open my wallet and take out a wad of notes, and without so much as blinking, I give her the money. I bet she'll think there's a lot more where that came from. She looks at the notes and frowns. Wait, I say. Let me count it for you. I've given her all she's asked for, and I've only got a hundred and fifty pounds left.